Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church is to inspire people to follow Jesus because we're convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks at greenvilleoaks.org and connect with us on social media. We would love it if you could rate and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Wade Hodges. Hello, everyone. Good to be with you today. Hello to everyone watching and listening online as well. So glad that you could join us today. And it's good for us to be able to be together in this way. Happy Mother's Day. Hi, Mom. Happy Mother's Day to you. Thanks for watching. We'll talk about the sermon afterward. If you would, please turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. I want to jump right into this. We'll be in Philippians chapter 2 starting off, and then we'll end up in some other places as well. The Apostle Paul, in his ministry, one of his primary goals was to preach the gospel in a way that gathered and then held together churches comprised of people from radically different social, economic, moral, religious, and ethnic backgrounds. And he believed to his very core that when these radically diverse but unified churches came together and stayed together, it demonstrated the power of the gospel and the glory of God to the world. And so we see in his various letters that he writes to churches scattered across the Roman Empire. He's always imploring Christians to maintain their unity in spite of their differences, in spite of their diversity, maintain their unity anyway. And he does this primarily by calling them back to a story over and over and over again. One writer calls it Paul's master story. He tells it in different ways, but he never strays far from it. And it's the story of the crucified Christ, the story we looked at some last week out of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It's that story that Paul tells over and over again in his letters, but describes most fully, the shape of it most fully in Philippians chapter 2. So let's start reading there today. We'll begin in chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same mind, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Sounds impossible, doesn't it? He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Now, this is just Paul being Paul. He's urging the Christians in Philippi to maintain their unity, to have the same mind, the same love, Because when they're acting out of their selfish ambition, seeking self first, when they are using their superior social status to get what they want, when they are fighting for their rights at the expense of someone else's rights in the community, 
Unity is elusive, if not impossible. And so Paul then gives them and us, as we read his letter to them, he gives them and us a concrete example of what it means to pursue unity by putting the needs and interests of others above our own. He continues in verse 5. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He never exploited it. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and by being made in human likeness. And then being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, the death of a slave. And therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, to the glory of God the Father. Paul says, imitate the example of Christ as you pursue unity with one another, as you pursue having the same mind, the same heart, the same love with one another. Imitate Christ's example, who did not exploit his own status as God, but instead emptying himself on the cross, becoming a slave, dying a terrible death, setting aside his status, setting aside his power, setting aside his rights and his privilege. He gave it all up for the sake of the world. And God honored his self-giving, sacrificial love by raising him from the dead and exalting him to the highest place so that he's King of kings and Lord of lords and so that his name is known above all others and that at his name every knee shall bow. God honored his son, the God the Father, honored the son for his humility, his sacrifice, his self-giving way by raising him from the dead. And Paul says this is to be the same attitude, the same mindset you have in your relationships with one another. This is what will help you get along with each other. This is what will help you overcome your differences and your diversity. This is what will help you resolve your conflicts. This is the way of the cross. This is the way of the cross and Paul believes the cross is something that not only saves us, it's something that shapes us and changes the way we live. For Paul, the cross is not just the way of salvation, it is a way of life for the saved. And so over and over again in his letters, he keeps calling Christians from all over the Roman Empire back to the cross, back to the cross, back to the cross because it's our way of life. When there's a power struggle that threatens the unity of the church, when our differences seem insurmountable, when we just can't get on the same page with each other, Paul reminds us of the crucified Christ and says, now look for ways to put the needs and interests of others above your own. That's the way of the cross. That's the way of life for those who follow the crucified one. And so we see in Philippians a little later on, he tries to get Euodia and Syntyche to get along with each other. They're these two influential leaders in the church in Philippi. They're not getting along. Two people having a disagreement. 
Paul implores these women to have the same mindset by putting the needs and interests of each other above their own. It's the only way. In another one of his letters, a little bitty letter, Philemon, Paul writes to a wrong slave owner and asks him to relinquish his right to punish a runaway slave and instead call Onesimus his new brother in Christ and to honor and accept him. And he calls him back to the way of the cross. This is the way of Christ. In 1 Corinthians, when Paul's trying to get groups of Christians to get along with each other, he calls those who are using their rights and their freedom to do harm to others in the body of Christ back to the cross. That's our way of life. It's what we see Paul doing in his longer letter to the church in Rome. We call it Romans. Near the end of the letter, he's working with Jewish and Gentile Christians, trying to help them sort out their differences so they can keep sitting at the same table and eating together. You can turn in your Bibles there if you want to Romans 14. We'll just summarize it and paraphrase it. But in Romans 14, he talks to the weak and the strong. The strong are predominantly Gentile, non-Jewish Christians who have come to Christ but aren't bound by or to the old Jewish law or traditions. They are free in Christ. They are not bound to dietary restrictions. They are free in Christ. They are not bound to observe certain holy days. They are free in Christ. Those are of no concern to them. But then also in the church, there are the weak and they're predominantly Jewish followers of Christ. And they do believe that they are still bound. Though they've come to Christ, they're still bound to the old law, the old traditions, the old customs. They still eat kosher. They still observe holy days set apart on their calendar. And there's tension building in the church in Rome because the temptation for the strong is to ridicule the weak for taking their law and traditions and customs too seriously. And the temptation for the weak is to condemn the strong because they're not taking those laws, traditions, and customs seriously enough. And the church is in danger of, instead of coming together at a common table and eating with one another, they're in danger of splitting and eating at separate tables. Paul won't have it. He wants them all together at the same table because that honors God and glorifies God and honors the gospel. And so he says in the latter part of chapter 14 to the strong, with whom he identifies, by the way, if he had to pick sides, he sides with the strong. He says to the strong, when you come together with your weaker brothers and sisters, don't force anything on them. Don't ask them to violate their convictions or their conscience. Instead, set aside your freedom, set aside your right to eat whatever you want for the sake of your weaker brothers and sisters so that they do not stumble. Don't set up a stumbling block for them. And then he clinches his argument in chapter 15, of course, by coming back to the story of the cross. Let's pick it up in verse one. So he says, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, and here he alludes to his suffering on the cross, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. And then he says, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Jesus Christ had. That's an echo from Philippians 2. So that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. That's the example. That's what he says keeps us at the same table together despite our differences. It's imitating the crucified one. It's putting the needs and interests of others above our own. Because when we as followers of Jesus demonstrate the self-giving, sacrificial, cross-shaped love of Jesus, we are also pointing to the self-giving, sacrificial, cross-shaped love of God for the whole world. The way of the cross is the way of life for those who follow the crucified one. I saw this teaching from Romans 14 and 15 come to life years ago when I was preaching for the Garnett Church of Christ in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We, on one Sunday, we had a joint worship service with another church that met at our building at a different time. Both churches were similar in size. We had a big room so we could fill the place up with people. We had, before that, a planning meeting where we were very careful to make sure it was a joint service. They were worshiping with us, but we were also worshiping with them. And we had participants from each congregation participate in the service. Their preacher preached the shorter, their pastor preached a short sermon. I delivered a long communion thought. We had representatives from each congregation reading scripture and saying prayers. It was all balanced. It was all equal. It was all unified. The only sticking point in the planning meeting is when we came to the singing. Because they, the other church, they worshiped with a praise or worship band like we do here in this service. But our church, at the time, we worshiped with only our voices, a cappella, perhaps you've heard of it, like we do in our first service here. And while most of the people who were a part of our church no longer believed it was a sin to worship along with instruments, as some of us were inappropriately taught as we were growing up, we did know that there were still some people in our church who, if on that Sunday we had a band take the stage for a few songs, just for one Sunday only, we knew it would stretch them beyond what their comfort zones could bear. And so when we told the leaders of the other church that, oh, this is going to be hard for us, they immediately said, don't worry about it. We will come and we will worship with you a cappella. We don't have to bring our band. In fact, they went beyond that. Their worship team actually got together and learned some of their favorite songs a cappella so that they could then share them with us and we could sing their favorite songs a cappella. And on that Sunday then, they stepped onto the stage and out of their comfort zones and they led us in worship with only their voices and a pitch pipe in their hand, which they did not know how to use. <laughs> it was Romans 14 and 15 come to life. The strong, those who had more freedom, those whose consciences allowed them to do more than the weak, they set aside their freedom, they set aside their privilege, they set aside their customs for the sake of the weak. And they joined us in worship and we joined them in worship. And I was humbled to be a part of a gathering where another group of Christians humbled themselves for the sake of unity. And God was absolutely glorified 
that day. Now, it's not hard to imagine how this teaching might come to life here at Greenville Oaks. There are all kinds of ways to apply the way of the cross. As I'm getting to know this church better, and as I'm getting to know you all better, and I get to know first service better and second service better, it's clear to me that what could be considered one of our strengths could also be a potential threat to our unity as a church. One of the things I absolutely love about Greenville Oaks is the diversity of ages we have here. It's one of the strong points, one of the attractive features of our church, both services. Multiple generations are represented. Now, let's be honest, first service, the average age is a little older, the average age here is a little younger, but by and large, there's diversity in both services. And that's the way it should be. It's not good for a church to be comprised of only one or two generations. It's unhealthy. The more generations, the better, but also the more potential for disagreement, conflict, and division. Because different age groups have different ways. I know that's not news. Different learning styles, different tastes, different preferences, different opinions or convictions about which issues are to be held close to the core of the gospel. Different approaches to solving ethical dilemmas. There's difference there. There's diversity there. And it's inevitable, but that these differences are going to bubble up in our church from time to time. There's going to be tension. There's going to be some disagreement. There's going to be what about and what if and how come. And that is a marvelous opportunity when it happens. That is a marvelous opportunity for all of us to live out the way of the cross to put the needs and interests of others above our own, to make sure it's not always just about us getting our way and what we prefer. It's an opportunity for older Christians to set aside their traditions and customs and habits for the sake of younger Christians so they are welcome and at home in our church. It's also an opportunity for younger Christians to set aside or defer to the traditions and customs of older Christians so that no one is excluded and no one feels unwelcome. And of course, I'm generalizing because in my experience, it's just as likely that older Christians like to set aside traditions and younger Christians like to maintain them. It goes both ways. There's an opportunity for both to embody the way of the cross. So what does a cross-shaped church look like when we gather on Sundays? when we're all doing the best we can to put the needs and interests of others above our own, what does that look like? Well, I think it, it looks like all of us being uncomfortable some of the time. That we can all admit and acknowledge and be ready because we are, are part of a diverse community. We're all going to be uncomfortable at least some of the time. We're not always going to get our way. Things aren't always going to happen exactly the way we want them to happen. An easy, low-hanging fruit example, something happens here in the gathering, we sing a song or we engage in an activity that you don't like, doesn't speak to you, you hate it. When that happens, you have some options. One is you can complain about it, tell somebody so that we never do it again because you didn't like it. It's hypothetical, that never happens in church. Or 
You can acknowledge, hmm, not my favorite thing we've ever done, but I assume it spoke to someone. I'm going to assume it helped someone and I will be happy for them. Because I can guarantee you, I've been doing this long enough to know when we're singing your favorite song, someone else across the room is hating it and hoping we never do it again. I've learned that not every sermon I preach is for everyone. So when someone says after the sermon, you know, that one wasn't very good. And they do say that sometimes. Hey, that one wasn't very good. I can honestly say, you know what? You're right. That may have been a stinker. Or it may have just been that that sermon wasn't for you. Not today. It was for someone else because in three minutes, someone else is going to come to me and say that's exactly what they needed to hear. Being a part of a church comprised of a diversity of personalities and learning styles and generations, religious and moral and educational and intellectual backgrounds, means that we all have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable some of the time. That is the way of the cross. That is what those who follow the crucified one must do in putting the needs and interests of others above their own. It's too often we frame our differences and our disagreements and our divisions in terms of it's me or you. It's us or them. But the example of the crucified Christ teaches us to say, instead of me or you, how can it be me for you? Instead of us or them, how can it be us for them? The way of the cross is not me or you, it's me for you. The way of the cross is not us or them, it's us for them. Please be standing. As we leave this place and as you go, may the story of the crucified cross, Christ, continue to shape you. And may you recognize the way of the cross, not just as the way to salvation where we're unified with God, but also recognize it as a way of life that keeps us unified and at one with each other. Go in peace and have a great week. Thank you so much for listening to the message from the Greenville Oaks message broadcast. We hope this message enriched your life and can help you inspire others to follow Jesus because we honestly believe following Him is the best way of life possible. Be sure to connect with us online on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube.